I'll be teaching from Isaiah 51, but we're going to start in 1 John. Psalm 51, is that okay? Uh, but we're going to start in 1 John, so if you turn over to 1 John, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to take a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So let's go to the Lord first. Father God, we have uh, desired to perform your will, desired to be conformed into your image and likeness. I'm going to argue from your word this morning that confession is a, is a grace that Confession was given for change. And so, Lord, we pray and ask, Father, that you would teach us to pray and to confess, as David has taught us, realizing that it, it comes from a man who was the recipient of God's word, a recipient of God's covenant, is an ordained king of Israel, is a prominent person in the Old Testament, but yet he sinned greatly. He's guilty of rape, guilty of murder, and tried to cover it. And so, Lord, in light of David's life, and what he has done, we thank you for giving a testimony of his life and given us a prayer of confession that is beyond our ability to preach its entirety and to squeeze all of the truth out of it in any given moment of any given day. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, that you will show us the importance of confession and the importance of seeking out your mercy through the psalm. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, one of our... Go to verses for confession is 1 John chapter 1 in verse 9. But I want you to look at it in context. In context, these five verses are talking about how to walk in the, in the light. How to walk in the light. So let me read it in its entirety and then we'll look at each verse real quickly. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The first thing I want you to notice 
Uh, first of all is, is that verse 9 says confess, but every other verse says that we say. If you say, well, it's talking about confession all the way through. All the way through is talking about confession, and uh, it is talking about how to walk in the light, how to walk in the light. Now, first notice in verse 5, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, in the Greek, it says no, no darkness at all. Okay, now if a, your children come to you and said, I ain't got no money, it's a double negative, and it means that they actually have money, right? But in the Greek, it doesn't work like that. If he says no, no, it says for emphasis. So God is light, and in him is no, no darkness, no, no darkness at all. He is purely light. He is 100% light, and he is, there is no, no darkness in him. And so that sets the stage for what we are to confess as it follows. Notice in verse, then, uh, verse 6, it says, that if we confess that we have fellowship and we lie, we do not, uh, we lie, or excuse me, if we confess that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. So notice that we're talking about walking by the Spirit. We're talking about confessing correctly. And in this one, it talks about practicing righteousness. So how are we to practice righteousness? By confessing the truth. By confessing what is true. That is important. Verse 7 says that we are to walk in the light. But if we walk in the light, if we walk with God as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. Now notice that word cleanses us from sin, because in verse 9 we hear that cleanse again. Okay, so in verse 7 we walk in the light, Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Verse 8 says that we, uh, if we confess that we have no sin... We are deceived and the truth is not in us. So there, is, there it is again. We're, we're not practicing the truth. We're not walking in the light. We're lying about our state, about walking in the light, because we're walking in darkness. And we are, the truth is, is not in us. Verse 9, we know it says that we are to confess our sin. Okay, so notice that confessing our sin is walking in the light. Right? Why do people not come to the light? Why do people not come to the Jesus? Because what? They're afraid that their deeds will be exposed, their darkness will be exposed. Therefore, the reason why we come to the light is because we want any of the darkness remaining in our life to be exposed so that we can confess it and repent of it. We want change. We want to be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Verse 10, it says then, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So confession, to confess our sins, is to agree with God in his word, whatever that is. Right. When we confess our sins, it says that Jesus Christ considers us, cleanses us, proclaims us righteous. Is it because we're righteous? No, it's because we agree with him for his diagnosis of our life. Right? We're, we're made righteous when we confess that what is true from what God has revealed is true. Right? We don't say... God doesn't reveal darkness in us, and we say, huh, we walk in the light when we're walking in darkness. That's a lie, and you're not walking in the truth, right? So the reason why we must confess is because we must agree with God as the Word of God examines our life as it, the Bible is called a canon or a measuring stick, right? What is a measuring stick? Well, it's what you measure by, and so we are to take our life, lay it beside Jesus Christ. And whatever is not like Jesus Christ as our measuring stick, 
we need to confess as not being like Jesus Christ, and we need to repent and get in line with what Jesus Christ requires and what he expects. So if we are walking in the light, then our confessions are accurate. They're according to the word. They are according to truth. Okay, if we are walking in the light, then our confessions are in agreement with God and his word. We agree with his word regarding our sinful condition. That is walking in the light. That is con confessing our sins. Now, think about the grace of God. He gives us what we don't deserve. He has to open our eyes to our condition, and he has to show us that we are in need of God's mercy, and we throw ourselves on God's mercy as as. Uh, as David did. So think of all the mercies that they are. Now think of Nathan. Nathan, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, comes and confronts David. and gives him a story. And David, able to evaluate others' lives better than he's able to evaluate his own, he says, that person is guilty of death. And then Nathan says, well, that's you. So what is it saying about Nathan? What is it saying about David? David's sin was guilty of death. He was able to see the splinter in somebody else's eye, but wasn't able to see the plank in his eye. Thank God for the Nathans in your life. Thank God for the Nathans who sees your sin and willing to confront. And when somebody confronts you, you don't have to make all kinds of excuses. All you have to do is agree with God. Right? If, if a Pharisee who speaks in the place of Moses preaches the word of God, you are responsible to God's word no matter if a Pharisee said it or not. Right? If a, if a donkey speaks and it's accurate to God's word, guess what? You're responsible to God's word whether a donkey says it or not. If it's in accordance with God's word, it doesn't matter who says it. Right? We have to accept it. We have to confess it. We have to agree with it. That is, uh, con that is confession. So what are the hindrances of confession? The uh, first hindrance of confession is perfectionism. Some people... Some people preach perfectionism, and when it pertains to confession, the teaching is that there is a point in your life when you will grow in Christ where you will get beyond the need of confession. Well, let me tell you, God said that he saved you to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ, and you are not conformed in the image and likeness of Christ until 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 is true of you, and that is when you see him... You will be like him because you will see him as he really is. Until then, we are growing progressively in sanctification. We need change every single day of our life. There will never be a time when you will outgrow confession on this side of heaven. Never will be a time. Perfectionism is a heresy. The other uh, hindrance to our confession is I'll call positionalism. Because our, of our position in Christ... There is no need of confession. In other words, Jesus Christ died for our sins, and there's now no condemnation in Christ. He has, he has died for every past, present, and future sin. Our righteousness is in Christ, not our own. Therefore, since our position is in Christ, there's no need for our confession. Well, all of those things are true about our position in Christ, but God still requires that we confess. Why? Because progressive sanctification is that we are progressing towards righteousness. The only way that we're going to progress towards righteousness is to understand what is unrighteous and confess and repent. Confess and change your ways. Confess and get in, get in line with scriptures. Get into, uh, conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
uh, we need this principle is that we need the full counsel of God. We don't allow one truth about God to cancel out another truth that is, uh, that's taught in scriptures. So our position is not an excuse for not confessing. Yes, we are, that yes, we are forgiven, past, present, and future, but God still requires that we confess and that we uh, repent. A good, a good uh, illustration of this uh, would be the washing of the disciples' feet. Uh, if you remember, uh, Jesus got the cloth and got the basin and went to wash the feet, went to Peter, and Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, then you will have no part of me. And Peter said, well, wash all of me. Wash me thoroughly. And Jesus said, that's not necessary. I just need to wash your feet. Okay, if you're saved today, it is not necessary that you repent of your sins and go back and be washed like you were when you first believed, totally and completely. But while you're walking in your relationship with Christ through this world, you're going to get residue on your feet. You're going to get residue on your life. You're going to need to be cleansed. Praise the Lord, I took a shower this morning, but when I go to lunch, I'm not going to take another shower. I'm just going to wash my hands because taking a shower is not necessary. Same way with our confession and our position in Christ. We are fully washed, fully cleansed, but we still need to confess and wash our hands um, before we eat. And that's not legalism in the Old Testament. That's just in my illustration is that it's not necessary to go back and be saved again, but it is necessary to confess our sins. The third hindrance to the confession is antinovianism. Antinovianism, excuse me, antinovianism is the belief that the law was done away with, with uh, in Christ, uh, therefore that we're no longer under law and under grace. And yes, we are under, uh, not under law, but under grace, but the law is a tutor. How are you going to know there's still uncleanliness in your life? The law is going to tell you. The word of God is going to tell you. What is your responsibility when you hear the law? Are we supposed to condemn ourselves? Say, well, it's me. I'm cursed and there's no answer for the sin that I've now committed. No, we go to Christ again and we receive his grace upon ourselves again, over and over and over again. And that's how uh, we walk in the light as uh, Jesus in light. Also, if you know the law, the law wasn't given to Israel until Exodus 20. And so they lived without the law from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Exodus 20. And they were still considered sinners even without the law. And that is true for us too. We are uh, still sinners. The only thing the law did is to make it uh, more apparent to us that we are. Um, just a quick illustration of that. I was at McDonald's and there was a, a young uh, family there. And I was just eating my sandwich and watching them. And... Uh, and uh, they were just running around. The, the, the uh, McDonald's climbed under tables, over top of tables. They, were, they just rallied. They were just sitting there, mother and father just sitting there uh, talking. Were they misbehaving? Absolutely they were. But the parents didn't say anything, right? And then the parents said something, and the, and the girlfriend or the wife, I don't know which one, said, get out from under that table or I'm going to take you to the bathroom. Well, he wouldn't come out. So he reached over there and snatched her and pulled him out. And then the, then the son, I'm assuming of, of hers, punched her in the chest. What did the law do? Come out from under that table. Made him exceedingly sinful now because he was rebelling against the law of mom and dad. Well, that's what the law did to us. It, it shows our exceeding 
sinfulness before God. It shows us how sinful sin is in our lives. And we need to confess that. We need to realize how sinful sin is. And then the last one uh, is I've already quoted, and that is because of fear. We're afraid to go to Jesus because our deeds may be exposed. And so we just self-justify and keep to ourselves. David's Psalm, Psalm 51, will help us to understand and formulate our prayer for confession. So let's turn to Psalm 51, and uh, we'll, we'll begin there. All right, the first thing that I want you to consider uh, when thinking about this is think of, think of David, how mature he was, how old he was. Remember, he was ordained as a child to be king. He is now king. Uh, he is a god after man, uh, a god, a man after God's own heart, right? So he's a mature individual. From our perspective, we could say he's a mature Christian. He is, he is a believer, and yet he failed, and he failed miserably. So, from that perspective, did Paul ever get to the point where he was perfect, where he no longer needed confession? Did he ever get to the point where his position in the Lord did not require repentance? Well, absolutely not. This psalm comes from that particular. Uh, that particular scenario. So let's consider, first of all, I want you to see that, that uh, David, the first thing that David did was to consider God in his confession. And so we want to consider God in our confession. First of all, see that God is just. In Psalm 51 and verse 4, he says, Against you and you only I have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your in your deeds, okay? He's, he's, he's taking his sin seriously. First and foremost, it was his sin. He recognized that uh, first and foremost, it was vertically, it was vertically that was the biggest problem that he had to deal with first. And so he goes to God. He says that he has sinned greatly, but then he says that you will be blameless. Excuse me. He says you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Listen, without Christ, without God, and you're left in your sin by yourself, there will be no excuse on judgment day for you. God's word is right. His word is blameless. His judgments are accurate. His judgments are perfect. And Paul, or excuse me, David recognized that. Paul recognized first and foremost, if I don't have atonement for my sin and God doesn't offer me forgiveness he is going to be blameless and justified in judging me I am completely guilty for my adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband I tried to cover it up and look good in the eyes of man and be that noble person who after the, the husband Uriah died actually was killed I am now going to marry Bathsheba so everyone will see what a kind and great person and a great king that I, that I am. When David was confronted, the first thing that he realized, I am a sinner and God's judgments are right. And if I don't beg for God's mercy, there is no other place to receive mercy. There's no other place to receive grace. So he had to go to God. Keep in mind that David was God's chosen king. He's one of the 
most well-known kings of Israel, well-respected and honored by the Jews, committed a great sin, and yet he still needed confession. Excuse me, confession. God's word is true. God's judgments are right. And then look at verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Listen, when we, when we sin, what we are deserving of is to be cast away from God. It is to, be, uh, to have his spirit removed from us. That, that is what we deserve. That is actually what should happen. But if you go back to verse 1, he says, Have mercy, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Listen, when we sin, the only thing that we can go to and plead for is God's mercy and grace. We cannot plead towards his uh, just, justice. I remember a story from Paul Washer. Uh, he said he was at a revival meeting one time, and he said that, uh, the uh, church was up on the, uh, up on the front, and he was next to this guy, and he was kneeling down and, and praying. He said, this guy was like just praying. He said, oh, God, please, please, just, just give me what I deserve. Please, just give me what I deserve. And Paul Washer stopped for the very first time in his life to stop a prayer. He wrote up, and he said, son, do not pray that prayer, because what you deserve right now is hell. You ask God to give you what you don't deserve, his mercy and grace. So it was the first time he ever stopped somebody and listened to their prayer because of that prayer. Listen, you cannot plead in your sin to anything else other than God's mercy and grace. That's all that is available to you at that, at that time. And I'm talking as though that's not enough. But that is all that is available. And thank God that he is a God of mercy and a God of grace. And as believers, we don't have to face his, uh, his judgment. Uh, David is confessing that God is right in his evaluation of the situation. He is guilty as charged, and David is agreeing with God. That is confession. We are agreeing with God. Not only is uh, God's judgments are right, but God is merciful, as we looked at in verses, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, David, he deserved hell. He deserved punishment. But God's mercy is the very fact that we don't get what we deserve. Right? We don't get what we deserve. What we deserve is hell. What we deserve is justice. What we deserve is punishment. But upon salvation, God does not give us hell. He takes that away. Grace is that he gives us everything else. Right? He gives us everything else. Listen, Confession is a grace. Mercy is a grace. Him opening your eyes to the reality that you don't measure up to Christ is a grace. We don't want to suppress it. We don't want to hide it. We don't want to get mad at people for pointing something out in our lives. If it's true, it's true. Just confess it to Christ. Just to go to him to mercy. Why does the Bible say there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ? Because that is the only way in the entire universe that we can receive forgiveness, mercy, and grace through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no other place. Why does the Bible say that man is without excuse? That there is no excuse when we stand before God one day? Well, it's because that if we plead for his justice, there is no excuse for the sin that we have committed. There's no excuse. We can't justify ourselves. 
Uh, we, can't, we can't plead on our own behalf. We need Christ and Christ alone. And so God is merciful. Don't, only, don't just consider God in your confession, but consider yourself in your confession. Mankind is in, innately sinful. Psalm 51 in verse, verses 2 through 6. It says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in the truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret parts. Okay, verses 2 through, through 6, it's, consider yourself. Mankind is innately sinful. Sin is the, is the general term. I'm going to define these. Iniquity and transgressions are uh, more specific terms. Uh, iniquity, uh, because it says in iniquity I was conceived. We were conceived in iniquity means that we have the sin nature. It's our, very, it's our very being. It's who we, it's who we are. I used this illustration this morning in Sunday school. Uh, but when a male bird and a female bird uh, get together and have a relationship, what do you have? Baby birds. Right? When there's a male dog and a female dog, i got a smart one over here, a male dog and a female dog get together and have a baby, what do you have? Puppies. When a sinner, a male sinner, gets together with a female sinner, what do you have? Little sinners. Right? Bobby Bacham says they're like a viper in a diaper. Okay? They're, they're sinners. By nature, they are sinners. Okay? Sinners, by nature, that's who they are. By nature, that's who they are in the inmost parts. Why are we sinners? Is it because we sin? No, we are sinners. And that's the reason why we sin. The sin is the result of the fact that we're sinners. We don't do nothing but sin. That's the iniquity. It's something that's inward. It's something that is all of our essence, all of our being. It touches every single part. Transgression is a trespass. Right? A sign says no trespass. Well, you have a good hunting uh, place and you want to go hunting and you say, well, my, my place to hunt is in there and so I'm going to ignore what the sign says. I know what it says, but I don't care. I have an excuse for transgressing it, so I'm going to go in there anyway. Right? One of my pet peeves is that uh, you, know, you have the, the handicap lane or the handicap parking spot, and then you have the place where all the yellow lines are, and there's always somebody that's going to pull right in, their yellow, in those yellow lines and run into Walmart. Right? What do those yellow lines mean? Don't park. Well, I'm just going to run in and run back out, so I don't care what the law says. I'm going to park there anyway and go in. Right? I go to the hospital and I go by the front door there and it says uh, parking for patients only. Right? And I say, well, I'm a pretty patient person. <laughs> I don't care what the sign says. And I park there and go in anyway. That's transgression. You know what the law says. You know what the requirement is. But I don't care. Why? Because Satan gave me a promise. He says that if I eat from the fruit of good and evil, I will be godlike. Right? That sin, well, sin satisfies the flesh immediately. So I don't care what the law says. I need satisfaction now. Right? That's transgression. We know what it says. We just don't care. We do it anyway. Sin encompasses, can encompass all of them. 
right? It is that we miss the mark. We miss the mark in our iniquity. We miss the mark in our transgressions. <clears throat> but iniquity is, or excuse me, sin is, is that we miss the mark, right? Which means if we're in archery, we have our bow and we're pulling it back. And no matter how close of an aim we get or how far we pull it back and how fast the arrow goes, no matter what, it never hits the target and not always falls short, right? And no matter how we strive in our flesh in trying to perform righteousness before God, we never make the mark, never do, right? The only way that we make the mark is in Christ, in Christ's likeness. It's walking by the Spirit. It's walking in the light. It's agreeing with God and His evaluation of our life. It's confessing that what God just revealed to me is true and it is right. And I need to confess it to God and I need to repent of my actions and I need to get in line with Scriptures. That's what confession is. That is the difference between iniquity the, or the iniquity and transgressions. Iniquity is total depravity thoroughly sinful. Uh, David asked that uh, to be washed thoroughly. David knew that he was brought forth in iniquity. He had a sin nature. David wanted his iniquity blotted out. Transgression, again, is seeing the trespass. David was saying, I know God and his word, and I transgressed the law anyway. You think David knew the Ten Commandments? Right? Think there was a thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not kill. He knew it, but what did he do? He did it anyway. That's that's trans that's transgression, and uh, and we do the uh, we do the same. Uh, David uh, doesn't accuse God like Adam and Eve do. What did Adam Adam and Eve do? Adam said, "God, it's your fault. It's this woman you gave me." Eve said, "God, it's your fault. It's this serpent that you put in the garden." David said, "No, it's me." It's me, and I've sinned against you and you alone, God. This is an issue that needs to be resolved between me and you before it can be resolved with anything else or anybody else. Right? We never want to seek self-atonement or self-justification justification in arguing uh, about our sin. We just need to come into agreement with God and confess our sin. We need to consider others uh, in our confession. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And this is more in line with public confession. We know the disciples asked the disciples, or excuse me, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. He says, when you pray, do in like manner. And he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Notice the plurals. Notice the plurals. Right? Don't pray, my father, forgive my debts. But there is a, a principle of congregational repentance which we do every single Sunday, where we pray about our sins. Now think about that when you think about perfectionism. How many people come to a church and say, all of those hypocrites down there, or all of those Pharisees? Don't you think sometimes it's because people come, and when they come, you're pointing at other sins? 
and it feels like the pastor is just pointing at you and he's the self-righteous person up in front. But if the pastors, the elders, the deacons, and whoever else gets in front of the congregation, oh God, forgive our sins. Forgive us from our transgressions. Forgive, forgive all of us for all of the sins that we all commit every single day. Don't you think that people will not see the hypocrisy but understand that we all stand on the same, uh, at the same level before our Lord? We are all sinners, and we are all in need of, uh, of Christ. And so it's, it's good for us to consider others and to pray corporately and agree with God and his word on a corporate basis. And I don't know about you, but as I've learned to pray corporately, it also has helped me personally to confess my sins at a personal level as well. Prayer of confession corporately agrees we are all sinners and we all miss the mark. Prayer confession corporately pleads for God's mercy on, on all of our behalfs uh, because we realize that God is just. The prayer confession corporately removes hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and a holier-than-thou mentality because we're putting all of ourselves on the same level as sinners inside of, inside of God. Also, we want to look at uh, um, sin, considering others. We're going to look at it from a, from a Great Commission perspective. Look at verses 13 through 19. All right, Paul, Paul wants to confess his sins, right, because he wants to teach others. And he wants it to be effectual when he teaches others. Right, and so sin blocks our effectiveness in our teaching, in our evangelism, in our outreach, in how other people perceive us. So he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then bulls will be offered on the altar. Okay, so, so confession uh, puts us in a right relationship with God. And then putting us in a right relationship with God gives us the right relationship with other people speaking not just physically between wife and children in the community but also in the sharing of the gospel and the putting out right our, our our words must follow our actions and when our words follows our actions that is powerful in the minds and the hearts of others as they see what we're teaching and also watching what we're doing and so if we are teaching that all are sinners and that we have this deep problem of sin within us and they never see you repent or they never see you confess, then they're going to call into question whether what you, uh, what you are teaching is, is true. Uh, it's going to affect not only your preaching and teaching, but it's going to affect your uh, uh, evangelism. It's going to affect your worship. Right? We're celebrating God's mercy and grace. And God's mercy and grace, that is, that is salvation. God will not uh, uh, accept your praise, your sacrifices without a humble, broken, and contrite spirit. 
contrite heart, right? God resists the proud, right? If you resist the proud, what does that mean? It means that you're, you're prideful in your sin and you refuse to confess, you refuse to come to God, you refuse to make it known, you refuse to come to God. Well, if you refuse to come to God and confession is repentance, then do you think God is going to say, oh, we won't worry about that, just here, go ahead and have the power of preaching and teaching and, and, and a witness in your, in your community. And so we have to... Uh, we have to confess and take into consideration uh, that, that sin uh, affects everybody, not just yourself. You know, people always say, um, it's none, no, no, none of your business what I do in my home. All right, what I do in my house is my business. Well, let me tell you something. There was this nurse over in China that was doing an experiment, and a virus mutated from there. And that was in China. And here in Savannah, I got covid so is it, any, is it any of my business what she's doing over there in China? Absolutely. Guess what? Adam and Eve were in a garden many years ago and, and sinned. And guess what? I'm a sinner today because of that. So is it not my business what Adam and Eve did? It is, is it, it is the business of the church to hold one another accountable and to confess sin together and to confess sin one to another because your sin does affect the body of Christ. It does affect the outreach to the, to the community. Worship, serving, tithing is not acceptable until you have a humble and contrite heart. Excuse me, a broken, a humble, broken spirit and a humble, contrite heart that is willing to agree with God in your confession and, and repentance. So we need to consider the attributes of God, the sinfulness of man, and the fellowship of God and the salvation of the world. And now what I want you to, want you to see here is in Genesis Chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned against God and that broke the relationship with God. When the relationship of God was broken, then it broke the relationship between husband and wife. It broke the relationship of husband and wife. Adam and Eve were accusing God, accusing each other, and accusing their circumstances. That, that broken relationship between husband and wife affected relationships amongst the children. Cain and Abel got fighting. One was murdered. Not only that, it, it infected the whole entire uh, civilization. Went through, got to the uh, uh, Noah and his ark. God judged the whole world because the sinfulness and unrighteousness of the mind and the heart was, was, was all over the society back then. And God judged them and drowned the population, except for Adam's family. It wasn't long before uh, they, uh, the ground dried up and Noah... Uh, landed the ark and they got out and they and they started to live and guess what sin started to take over again just as soon as the, the ark landed the sin started to take over over uh, again and uh and it's when you get right with god that you start seeing changes in your life and in your relationship with the people that you're around if you're not right with god right it's going to be hard to get right with other people and so we need to take uh, the, the attributes of God. We need to know the attributes of God because we know that we can't plead for God's justice. We can't plead for God to give us what we deserve. We need to ask God for what we do not deserve. Ask him for his mercy and grace. We need to understand our condition. We, we need to want uh, fellowship with God for the sake of the uh, salvation, salvation of the world. Your sin is very serious and your confession is very crucial. Right, we model that each and every week. 
And, uh, and I hope that you're taking that model and using it into your own life. Listen, there's no way for you to justify yourself. It's not about somebody walking in your shoes. It's not about somebody sharing in your experiences. It's not about your child being more rebellious than my child. It's not about your spouse being more hateful than my spouse. It all boils down to, to you and your heart and you getting right before God. It's all about your heart. It's all about you. Can you imagine what it would be like if everybody here would pray as David did? Cleanse my heart and put a right spirit within me. That should be our desire every single Sunday. When we come to the, to the church looking for change, we need to find how is my heart not clean and how am I not right spiritually? And ask God, God, cleanse my heart and, make a, and put a right spirit in me. And then go home, live for a couple of days, and see if your wife or your husband starts recognizing that there's a right spirit in you now. Something has changed because you came to church to change. You came to church for God to expose the sin in your life so that you would willingly confess your sin and repent of that particular situation. Let's ask the Lord to do what we've heard in our own lives. Father God, we again thank you for David and his experience. Father, though it was dreadfully and wickedly sinful, we must recognize that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. No matter what sin we find ourselves in, Father, we know that, that grace will cover it. Nothing else will cover it. We can't suppress it deep enough to cover it for, over from God. We can't justify it enough that it would be justified before God. We cannot make enough excuses in an argument before God that God would say, oh, okay, that's okay. It's impossible. Father, our, our, only, our only hope is to understand that God is a God of mercy and grace. Father, whatever sin that we have hidden, bring it to our heart right now. Father, whatever excuse that we have been telling you, make us aware of it now. Lord, whoever we have blamed for our own sin, make us aware of it. Whatever sin that is that we think is is benefiting us by remaining in it, bring that to our minds. Whatever hurt that we've had because of sin, Lord, help us to see it as grace. And Father, 
most importantly, whatever you have revealed to us in our mind and our heart, help us to agree with it and confess our sins to you and where necessary to one another. Allow us to depart this service today with a clean heart and a new spirit within. And let us and others see the change. Let us experience the newfound joy of our salvation. Let us have a bold confidence in the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, allow us never to hide, never to suppress, never to deny, never to blame, never to make excuses. Father, but allow us to come to you over and over and over again. Every time by your grace you expose something in our lives that is not Christ-like, let us immediately come to you and confess and repent of that sin. Let us no longer carry sin around like a handbag as if something of value is within. But allow us to throw it to you so you will throw it into the depths of the sea and separate it as far as the east is from the west. And may we sin no more. Thank you, God, for being the God of grace and mercy that we do not have to face your justice, Lord. We love you and thank you for your word. We just ask that you would now do it in each one of our hearts. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.